a continuation of Paul's emphasis on the gospel. The first three chapters of Ephesians have that emphasis. And we're going to be closing it up here in Ephesians 3. And then in our next presentation sermons messages, we're going to be looking at what the gospel produces. We'll touch series a little bit this morning, but I want you to know, especially those visiting, that you're stepping into a series of meetings that is culminating today in the love of God for us. Not what we do for God, but what God does for us. Just so you know where we are. So Ephesians chapter 3, our scripture reading was verses 17, 18, and 19. There's one little phrase here that I took out of this for our sermon title, Rooted and Grounded in Love. And that little phrase, Rooted and Grounded in Love, is found in verse 17. I want to talk about that just a little bit before we get started in the verses. Rooted is botanical. It's farm language. Did you notice that? Grounded is actually builder language. The word in the root word in the Greek goes back to building, like building uh, a house or a home, etc. So you've got building language combined with farm language. And I think that's really appropriate for us, a lot of us here, because a lot of us here are into building or into farming, or some of us are even into both. And so what Paul is doing here is he's using the things that we do in life to, to draw from them the picture of God's love and how we're to be rooted and grounded in that love. And so there's a lot of illustrations from the garden. There's a lot of illustrations from building that, that Paul is wanting us to think about as we think about being rooted and grounded in love. Now, I promised you some time ago that I would share with you um, some of the pictures that my wife and I took when we were building our first home back in 1991. And we have set it up this morning so that I can deliver on that promise. And I thought it would be appropriate because we're talking about being rooted and grounded. And the grounded part is where we're, we're going to look here. So just look at some of these pictures because if I remind you of the story, what my wife and I did back in 1991 was, in a sense for us, it was kind of a miracle. Because I didn't have any experience in building it. So we started this project. Uh, we laid a really good foundation. My wife and I... I borrowed a backhoe from someone. Actually, I rented it and dug out a foundation. And we, back where we lived, back in Malo, you had to have three feet down in the footings because of the freezing. And so we built this foundation, and then we started putting up the walls. That's us putting up the walls right here. Uh, that's Reese right there in, in her dress. She wore a dress the whole time, putting up these walls. And remember, I didn't get the walls um, squared, so they weren't meeting on the, on the corners. They weren't meeting all the way down. So someone had to show me how to square the walls. Finally got that figured out. And then we learned, after we got the first floor on, and there's Reese nailing up the first floor, we learned that if you frame and side the wall before you put it up, then you don't have to have the scaffolding to put the siding on later. So we framed it, we sided it, we did everything we could when we kept going through this process to get the wall finished so we didn't have to get the scaffolding later on. The next uh, slides. So here we are putting walls up, framed, and even had a window in uh, windows in them when we got them up. They were really heavy to lift, so we got some friends to help us. You know, in life, in ministry, in church, you need friends. You can't you can't do this by yourself. So that's us framing the second floor. I told you that, that my father-in-law uh, back then we could build a second floor for $5,000. Like, we did the whole house for, like, $12,000. He gave us 5000 to do the second floor. We were buying 2 by 4 for $0.99 cents and 2 by 6 for two by six for $0.99 cents and 2 by 4 for $0.79 cents up in Canada. And then I learned how to do electricity. And so I did the wiring. We did the, the insulation. We didn't... I did a roof. Um, what's that called when you do the roof without the... 
Rafters. We did rafters. We ran them down. And uh, and then we had some help. Couldn't afford trusses. Next slides. And uh, and then we had some help. I don't know if you recognize up in the right corner, but those are Ty's children. Amber, Leah, and Jason is in the background there. If any of you know them, there's just when they're... So that gives you a kind of uh, a reference to what time of the... The, of life this was. There's the house kind of, you know, he was a sheetrocker, made some mistakes, for example, putting one half inch sheetrock on the ceiling instead of five eighths or whatever it was. So <laughs> we had some slack there. But there's all our sheetrock as we deliver it. Next slide. And uh, there's the, the view. We did the kitchen cabinets also from scratch. There's the view from the front. There's the view going out our bedroom window to a bunch of aspens. And there's the view looking out back and this rainbow that, that came over us. And the whole experience, you know, they say if a marriage can survive building a house together, it can pretty much survive anything. The whole experience was really foundation. We did it before we had children. We built it just before our son was born. And it took us about eight months to build and get in. And we were, it was rough. And then it took us about eight to ten years to actually finish it, to get it done. I, I look at this experience and I think about the way that God is working in my life. You know, he lays a foundation. And you know, the foundation is Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation that can be laid. And then he starts building on that foundation. And you know, you make some mistakes along the way. It's a good thing we had an inspector coming in and telling us to do different things differently and to put some more bracing right here, et cetera, et cetera. Because we make some mistakes along the way and we need that inspector. We need those people to help us to point out things in our lives and our characters that need to be changed, that need to be transformed. But foundationally, the love of God is what allows us to accept all of that. The love of God is foundational to everything we do. So so the thing about this house that was so cool was we put so much effort and so much time into the foundation so that whatever was built on that foundation would stand. Whatever built on that foundation was rock solid. And so if there's any other foundation we're building on but Jesus Christ, guess what? The stuff we're building on isn't going to stand. So we want to get back to the foundation of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 3. So let's look here in verse 14, and we'll read all the way through the rest of the chapter, and then we'll go back. And I'm just kidding there, because it's fellowship meal this Sabbath, so I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty to go over over 12, past 12, because we've got food right here. You don't have to go very far. So, All right, start with verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knee under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, that's us, we're a family. Dysfunctional, yes, but family. The whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, that's why we're called Christians, Jesus Christ, Christians, that he would grant you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That... Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded, farm language, building language, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, and what is the length, and what is the depth, and what is the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. These are powerful closing verses. And you think he's kind of closing a whole epistle here. He's only closing the first half of the epistle. We'll talk about that 
in our next session together. But let's go back to verse 14. Let's kind of break this down and, and pull out some practical stuff here. This is really good. For this cause, I bow my knees. Normally, Old Testament times, you stood, you prayed, you had your eyes open, you looked to heaven and you prayed, you lifted your hands and you prayed. If you were serious, if you were earnest, if there was something really critical going on in your life, you got on your knees. And if it was really intense, you would place your knees between your, your head between your knees. That's what Elijah did on a couple of occasions. I don't know if you remember that. He got down on his knees and he put his head between his knees. Now, I don't recommend trying that if you're older like me, because you can pull your back right out. Serious time when you really need to just be in earnest prayer with God. Um, then verse, uh, verse, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, emphasis, family, emphasis, family, emphasis, family. Please remember that we are not just a family, but we are a sisterhood of family. The church you're coming from, I know there's some visitors here this morning, and there may be some things that don't fit you quite right, and there may be some things in this church that don't fit you quite right. We have some people that aren't here this morning because they're visiting another family church in the valley here because they want to go to a service that's a little different from our service. That's the way it works. And you find the church in the family of churches that ministers to you or that you can minister to or be a part of and praise God. And then there's other people who are going to find another church over here or another church over there or another church over there. And all of us family of churches and all of us pastors, we're all going to stick together like glue. And we're going to be so happy that you have found a place. The idea of sheep stealing is not in our vocabulary by the church where they feel that God is calling them. And we don't, I don't have this tally of numbers that I have to keep or worry about those kinds of things. My concern is that you're getting edified, that you're in a place where you're being blessed and where you can be a blessing. We don't want to be critical and negative and fault-finding about other people or other churches, even Sunday churches. We are here to edify one another, to build one another up, and then to do ministry toward others. That's our goal. Fill us up, Lord, to overflowing. Fill our cup, Lord, to overflowing. And then cause us to go forth and be a blessing to others. Didn't hear any amens that time. Amen. Okay, good. Continuing on. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit. Where? In the inner man. Paul here is talking about the converted man. He's talking about the changed heart. He's talking about the transformed experience. There's an outer man and there's an inner man. And guess what? hate to tell you this, but the outer man doesn't change. Whether you're converted or not converted, the outer man stays the same. The flesh is there either way. It's just that when you're converted, when you have the inner man, when you're strengthened in the inner man, the inner man takes charge of the outer man. The inner man is in control of the outer man. The inner man actually tells the outer man that we're doing that and we're not doing that. When you're not, the inner man, that is, excuse me, the outer man, but feel the presence, the shadow, the, the darkness creeping up in you and ty- trying to take control and trying to make you speak a certain way and act a certain way and do certain things. You know that. And so Paul is saying, I want, I pray, I believe, I hope that you will be strengthened in the inner man. Because he knows if you're strengthened in the inner man, it's going to take care of the, of the outer man. That Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts by faith. May dwell in your hearts by faith. But wait, 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 wait. When he started this epistle, he talked already about Christ dwelling. Christ was with the church. Why is he praying that he would dwell when he's already dwelling? Why, why is he asking Christ to dwell? Because there are two uses of the word dwell. In the Greek, there is a use, there is an understanding of the word dwell that means it's, it's temporary. Kind of like firefighters. You know, firefighters go out, right? Cedric? Firefighters go out, and they're out there, and they're dwelling 
when they're done with their day, they're dwelling in a tent or they're dwelling in a hotel or whatever they're dwelling in. They're not home. They're just dwelling. That's one form of dwelling. It's a temporary form of dwelling. I'm here for a week. I'm here for a month. I hope not. I'm here to fight this fire and I'm dwelling here. But when the firefighter gets home, guess what he's doing? He's dwelling. That's a completely different word. A completely different understanding because that's permanent. And that's what Paul is talking about here in this verse. He's talking about the permanent dwelling. He's talking about getting home. He's saying here that Christ may dwell permanently. Not temporarily. Permanently in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded. And this year has been such a blessing for us in our little garden orchard. When we first moved here, we immediately started planting stuff. And the deer immediately came in and we kind of got them out. And then the fences started rotting and breaking. And so the deer came in again. And so we got some dogs and they kind of keep them out. And this year we've got some grapes. Oh, those are good grapes. They're the kind of grapes that are so good that you don't know if you want to take them to the fellowship meal or not. You know what I'm saying? These grapes and apples and pear. We've got pear. We've got persimmons. Did I tell you that we have bananas at our house? No, we're growing bananas. Okay, they're about this big. They're just, they're just like this. But we've had these ornamental banana trees in the front of our house for years, and this year they're growing bananas. It's amazing. I don't think they'll actually ripen. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I don't know, but they're really cute. God is telling us here that he wants us to be rooted and grounded, so connected with him that there's fruit that comes out of our life, delicious fruit. Fruit that, that you don't even want to take to the fellowship meal. Fruit that you just want to have. Fruit that you just want to... Mm. He, wants to be, he wants to be so connected with us that we're rooted and grounded in Him. And then it, here it is, verse 18. That ye may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length. What is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God. When I think of the breadth, God's breadth, I think about that verse in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world. That's what Paul was talking about in our last meeting. Remember we talked about the mystery in, let's just turn back here, just a couple of verses to verse 4 of Ephesians 3. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Here's the mystery of Christ, that which in other ages was not made, made known unto the sons of men, but is, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that, here's verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body of partakers of his promises in Christ by the gospel. The mystery of God is that the Gentiles should be saved. Like, Really? That's the mystery of God? Yeah, according to uh, Ephesians 3, 4, 5, and 6. That's the mystery of God. We're going to kick all the Gentiles out. We're going to kick all the Gentiles out. It's just all about us. It's all about us. It's all about us. They're nothing. We're something. And that mentality continued on. They didn't know that, that the people they were kicking out were people whose probation is closed, but God's intent and purpose was to reach people whose probation has not closed, was to reach people who still need to know about God. And the whole purpose of setting up the Jewish nation was to do that. And so it continues on until when Jesus comes, they've got such an attitude that he can't even minister to Gentile people without being criticized and castized. And then we, as Adventists, come on the scene. 
It's all about us. It's everything's for us. It's not about the Sunday keepers. It's not about any of the other Christians. It's just us, us. And we've got to be careful there. Because the whole point of Adventism and the unique truths we have is to reach everyone else and help to share with them those things that we find so precious. God is blessing us so that we can be a blessing. The breadth of God's love is all-inclusive. God so loved the world, not just Christians, not just Adventists, not just Baptists. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When I think of the length, what do you think of when you think of length? When I think of the length, I think of a hundred years, a thousand years, two thousand years, three thousand years, four thousand years. How long suffering God is? The Bible says in Second Peter three nine, God is so long suffering toward us that He doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. With God, a day is like a year; a, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He is long suffering. He's waiting it out for us. He's patient. You know how impatient we are. Like I tried, I tried, I tried. I give up. I give up. That's not God's love for us. And the reason why this is so important is because God wants to make sure that we're grounded in His love because if we are not grounded in His love, we're not only going to give up on other people, guess what? We're going to give up on ourselves. Eventually, we're going to give up. Eventually, we're going to look in the mirror and we're going to say, man, I really do not like what I see and we, just like we've given up on others, we're going to give up on us. So God wants us to know, my love is not like your love. My love is completely different than your love. And Paul is praying earnestly. He's on his knees. He's not just standing up, not just a casual prayer. He's on his knees. He's like, I am praying earnestly that they will be able to comprehend the breadth, all-inclusive, the length, equal with the Father. Philippians chapter 2 says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, thought it not something to be grasped onto to be equal with God, but emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now, you know, we can't, that's hard for us to empty ourselves. Like, I don't feel like I'm really significantly important, but here I am, you know, I'm an associate pastor of the Fall Creek Church, and, you know, I've been in ministry for a number of decades, and so, you know, what is that? Can I let go of that? Or is that, does that make me important to some degree? Am I, do I have importance? Jesus Christ is the creator, he's the God of the universe, and he lets go of it all. He just lets it go. You know, I want... United Airlines to know that I'm a million miler. I'm a premier gold. I get my free bag. You know, I don't want to go in there incognito. I want them to, I want some special treatment. I want an upgrade to first class if they've got it for me. Jesus empties himself and he comes down and he's born to poor parents under stigmatism in a barn. And we want our stuff so bad. I mean, I want my purple grapes so bad, right? And I look at the cross and I look at Jesus and I say, you know what, I need to drive home between now and fellowship meal and grab those grapes and put them on the table, right? You're going to really enjoy them. I think I should do that. So that's how, that's how the gospel affects the heart. We look to Jesus and it transforms us. In and of ourselves, we can't do that, but the gospel does that. And so we look to Jesus and we say, wow, he was the king of heaven. He emptied himself. He became a man, not only a man, but a servant, not only a servant, but he died unto death, not only death, but even the death of the cross. He did all of that. And we want to be like him. So when I think of the depth of God's love, I think of how far down he came for us, not just to save us, but to give, be like him, to live like him. And then, of course, we have this last description, the height. And this is unfathomable, really. The only, the only thing that I could, Second Peter 3, 9, 
and we've looked at Philippians chapter 2 for, for, the, for the height, for the length, and the breadth, and the depth. And now I want you to look, uh, just, you don't have to look there, but just refer to, to Revelation chapter 3. It says in Revelation chapter 3 that for those who overcome, that he says, you're going to sit with me, where? Anyone know? On my throne. When I think of the height of God's love, God is saying, when, when this world, the only world that transgressed, the only world that was unfaithful, the, the most undeserving of all of my creation, when I'm finished with you, you're going to go past the angels, you're going to come right up into heaven, and you're going to sit with me, equal with me on my throne. The height of God's love. And I can't, I can't comprehend that. <clears throat> but let me say it this way. That position... With God on his throne. God. And we just talked about what God is like. Self-sacrificing, other-centered love. It's not, a, it's not a position so much of glory as it is a position of service. That's what it is. We're going to have the same mentality, the same way of thinking, the same mindset that Christ has as we get through this. Now, verse 19. Now, that you know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. All of this is so that, in order that, you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's the fruit of the gospel. See, the gospel is very simple. There are two basic premises to God's love. Number one, it's unchanging and unconditional. God's love just doesn't change. It can't change. And we get confused about that because we use the love in such a, a mixed multitude way. You know, I love those purple grapes. <laughs> And I love my wife. But I better love my wife a little differently than I love the purple grapes, right? See, love, 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 love. I love that, I love that, I love that. And so then when God comes into the picture here, what that means. God's love in the Bible is agape. It's different than all the other loves, the phileo love. and It's, it's, a, it's a love that's based on principle. It's a love that's unchanging. It's a love that's immovable. I was, I was really appreciating the song service today and all the hymns. Laura asked me, what are you talking about? I said, the love of God. And so she picked these powerful songs. And I, I really love that last one and the illustration of the water, you know, gushing forth the power of God's love. It is unmovable, unchangeable love. That's premise number one. Premise number two, uh, God's love is also... just. God is a just God. So, so for God to love us and at the same time forgive us, something has to happen. Something has to give. Because God cannot just stand his justice. But it's impossible for us to meet the standard of justice, you understand, because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that is, can you say it? Death. And so what's God going to do in this situation? Well, what he's going to do is he's going to step into the race himself. He's going to become a man, and he's going to rewrite the history of the human race in himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is going to fulfill every requirement of his holy law in his human experience. He's going to perfectly obey the law of God. He's going to meet every requirement of the law of God as us, in us. So <clears throat> he's in humanity, and he's doing it in our behalf. Isn't that amazing? He's doing it in our behalf. And then he's going to reap the consequences that we should be reaping. 
We should all die. He's going to take that consequence. So he's going to live the life we should have lived, and he's going to reap the consequence we should have received. And then he's going to turn around and he's going to say, now, all of that is put to your account. And that's salvation. That's the gospel. That's salvation. There's nothing you can add to that. There's nothing you can do to change that. That is, in a nutshell, is the gospel. And the more we comprehend and understand and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more fruit is seen in our lives. That's why Paul says, I want you to be strengthened in the inner man. I want the inner man to be in charge. I want you to focus on and comprehend the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of God, that you can be filled with the fullness of God, so that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, unto him. Who? Him. Who's him? Is it the pastor? Is it the elder? Is it the special speaker? Is it the special church? Is it special church service? Is it special music? Who is it? God. We come to church for God. We come to church because of Him who is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or think. Right? If you're coming to church for a person, if you're coming to church because of people, you're going to fall on your face again and again and again because people are going to disappoint you. Over spiritually because the pastor doesn't feed me. And I ask him, I say, what does a 30-minute sermon once a week, okay, 35 minutes, have to do with your spiritual experience? Are you telling me that your spiritual experience is based upon 30 minutes in church, a 30-minute church sermon once a week? Because if it is, the issue is not the sermon. The issue is rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. And when you're rooted and grounded in love, whether the sermon's good or bad, <clears throat> you're rooted and grounded in love, right? You're connected with Jesus. So when the sermon's not so good, like some of my sermons are, you can simply say, well, I'm here to bless others because I'm rooted and grounded in love. <laughs> I'm here to give. And if this is the church where I need to be, praise God. God can send you anywhere and you can do anything when you're rooted and grounded in love. But if you're coming to be fed by the pastor, whew, your whole experience is going to depend on whether he delivers or not. That's a lot of pressure on the pastor. That's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture says, now unto him, talking about God, that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So we can praise God. For every iota, every truth, we can praise God. We don't praise the pastor. We don't praise a human being. We don't look to them. We praise God. We say, thank you, Jesus. And as we do that and we give Him glory, He continues to deliver. And as He continues to deliver, we continue to praise. As we continue to praise, He continues to deliver. And it becomes a circle of beneficence. We're just like, whoo, man, this is powerful. This is beautiful. And we just, just don't ever step out of that. Just keep that going. Keep that flowing. Keep yourself rooted and grounded in the love of God. And He will keep you. And He will do abundantly above all that you can ask or think. World without end, amen. Do you want that experience? How many of you want that experience? Praise God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you this morning, this afternoon. Thank you for each and every word that you've given us. Thank you for Jesus, for the foundation that he's laid, for this family that is here, this family that is in this valley, this family that is in this world, this worldwide family of dysfunctional people that are actually moved through it together because we are rooted and grounded in love, because we're strengthened in the inner man, because we are partakers of the mystery of the gospel, which is a light to the Gentiles. And so we don't see anyone differently. We don't act differently. We, we come clean before you this morning. We say, Lord, that inner man is the 
only way that we can control the outer man. Every one of us has one of those outer men, outer women, the flesh. But that inner man, rooted and grounded in love, comprehending the length, the breadth, the height, and depth of your love. Father, that is what will take us through this dysfunction. And we have it. We own it. It's ours. But we're ready to move on. We're tired of it. We're ready to move on. We're tired of denial. We're ready to move on. So, Father, move us on through your word, through your spirit. You saw the hands raised this morning. You read our hearts. Do for us what we can't do for ourselves, we pray. And thank you in Jesus' name. And let everyone say, Amen.